God responds by giving Satan permission to afflict Job. God says he's in your hands, but don't touch him. All that belongs to him you can touch, but don't touch him. And so Satan afflicts Job. He loses all his wealth, all his children, the very same day. His response is to tear his robe, shave his head, fall on the ground, and worship. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Then the scene goes to the throne room in heaven once again, and God says to Satan, what do you think about my servant Job? You incited me to let all these things happen to him, uh, but what do you think? He's, he's still faithful. He still loves me. And Satan says, ah, skin for skin, afflict his body, then he'll curse you. And so God says to Satan, uh, you have permission. You can harm his body, but don't take his life. We read that he had painful sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. Horrible, horrible suffering. The counsel from his wife is curse God and die. Job says, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? The Bible says he did not sin with his lips. Uh, that's followed by us reading about his three friends who come. They hear what has happened. They travel to him. They want to show him sympathy and comfort. When they get near, they don't even recognize him. They raise their voices and weep. And then they sit on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights and don't say a word. A few weeks ago, Jim uh, preached from chapter 3 to us, and we saw there where uh, Job curses the day of his birth. He laments that he was ever born. Uh, he is agonizing so much. His friends begin responding. We looked at the first cycle of the interaction between Job's friends and Job last week, and uh, his friends say, you know what, Job? Your suffering is an indication that God knows all about your secret sin. And the reason that you're suffering is because you're being punished for being wicked. If you would just get right with God, everything will be good. After all, you can count on this. God opposes the wicked and blesses the righteous. Uh, last week, we looked uh, more at Job's response to that, how he experienced hope even while he was suffering. It wasn't perfect hope. He was not consistent. Job is struggling. His suffering is intense. But we saw that he did not find hope in man's wisdom. He didn't find hope in just talking about God, but rather talking to God, longing to speak with God. And he longed to be reconciled with God because his hope was in God. It wasn't in his friends. It wasn't in what he could do. His hope was in God. He needs this hope. His suffering is intense. Even his friends who should have been encouraging him they, uh, they give counsel according to their incomplete knowledge, and it's not helping at all. It's making him more and more miserable. So now we come to the second cycle. It's uh, chapters 15 through 22, and uh, we certainly won't be reading all of that <laughs> to you. Uh, we're just going to focus on reading from chapter 19, but the characteristics that we'll find throughout and that you've seen if you've already read those chapters is that the words here are becoming more and more sharp, more and more accusatory. Job's friend's words towards Job, but also Job's words towards God. There's a growing intensity as the suffering goes on. That's because suffering is hard. 
But Job still is trying to hold on to his conviction that God is good and God will take care of him. And we'll learn more about that as we go on. A hurting and a confused man. But in our text, he gives a beautiful confession of hope. It's one of the most beautiful confessions of hope in all of Scripture. Uh, would you stand together with me and we'll pray and then read Job 19. Please pray with me. Father, we ask for your help. It is a, uh, it's a, a weighty thing to look at your word, especially when your word teaches us uh, how great is your glory and majesty and how unexplainable our circumstances often are. Uh, as we read about uh, your servant Job who suffered so much, as we read about friends who counsel but not well, Father, would you teach us whether, whether we are suffering or whether we know someone who is suffering, whether suffering is in our past or in our present or in our future, would you help us to know where to find hope? Would you help us to know specifically what that hope should look like? Father, would you teach us from your word? Would you confront us and convict us? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. We ask this, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Job chapter 19. And Job answered and said, How long will you torment me and break me in pieces with your words? These ten times you have cast reproach upon me. Are you not ashamed to wrong me? And even if it be true that I have erred, my error remains with myself. If indeed you magnify yourselves against me and make my disgrace an argument against me, Know then that God has put me in the wrong and closed his net about me. Behold, I cry out violence, but I am not answered. I call for help, but there is no justice. He has walled up my way so that I cannot pass, and he has set darkness upon my paths. He has stripped from me my glory and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side, and I am gone, and my hope he pulls up like a tree. He has kindled his wrath against me and counts me as his adversary. His troops come on together. They have cast up their siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. He has put my brothers far from me and those who knew me are wholly estranged from me. My relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. The guests in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I've become a foreigner in their eyes. I call to my servant, but he gives me no answer. I must plead with him with my mouth for mercy. My breath is strange to my wife, and I am a stench to the children of my own mother. Even young children despise me. When I rise, they talk against me. All my intimate friends abhor me, and those whom I loved have turned against me. My bones stick to my skin and to my flesh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, O oh, you, my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. 
Why do you, like God, pursue me? Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. If you say how we will pursue him, and the root of the matter is found in him, then be afraid of the sword. For wrath brings the punishment of the sword, that you may know that there is a judgment. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I was so glad we sang Psalm 2 this morning. A reminder that God has placed his son on the throne. And he's not worried about anything. We have a strong God. We have a strong Savior. And in our text, I believe... uh, Job begins to learn more about that. Uh, Earlier this week, I uh, saw on the news or a a news clip that uh, police in Los Angeles discovered a residence where someone had stashed 5,000 pounds of illegal fireworks. Maybe you heard about this. They arrested uh, the man living there. They confiscated the fireworks. And as they were sorting through them, they found some that were considered more dangerous So they brought in the bomb squad truck that you use to detonate uh, live munitions, and they put 10 pounds, just 10 pounds of these explosives in the truck. They took all the necessary steps so it could be safely detonated, and when they hit the button, the truck blew up. Uh, 17 people were injured. Uh, Cars nearby were destroyed and flipped over. Windows were broken in nearby homes. The lid, the the roof of the truck, which according to one report I read could weigh up to a ton, landed two blocks away. It's quite a reminder. You better use caution when you're dealing with something dangerous. You better use caution when you deal with something that has a lot of power. Use caution when you deal with people who have a lot of power, right? Your boss, or maybe a police officer, or your teacher. Our text would add, be really careful when you stand before Almighty God, because he's powerful. It's dangerous to stand before a holy God who knows everything about you. I think that Job, while it is imperfect, for sure, He is coming to a growing understanding of how powerful and how holy God is. We see that in our text. And this is something that Job and his friends need to hear. Uh, They're facing an incredibly growing, growing in greater and greater difficulty set of circumstances because Job's suffering continues. It wasn't just for a, a short time. It's going on and on. Job needs to be reminded of who God is in the midst of his loss and suffering. His friends need to be reminded, as 
they have responsibility to comfort him and encourage him. All of them are trying in this story to understand more about God. Job's friends, they, uh, they keep singing the same song, right? Same song from the beginning. God is holy. He punishes the wicked. He rewards the good. You're suffering, so therefore you must be wicked. End of the story. Case closed. Job continues to cry out, I'm not aware of any sin. God, would you show me my sin? Why am I suffering so much? Why does this hurt so bad? And now he's not just being hurt by the words of his friends. He, he's interpreting things as though God himself had his hand against him. Job's in a dark place, a difficult place. He's not free from error, but his view of God's holiness and God's justice is growing. And we're going to see that in his sweet confession of a very specific hope. His hope is in God, but it's more specific than that. And we'll consider that in just a moment. But we want to begin with the first 24 verses of the chapter, a long section, but I believe that it shows us how in these dark days and in this desperation, Job is increasingly longing for justice. He wants that desperately. What is the justice that Job longs for? He wants things to be made right and fair. He's weary. He's tired. He has worked hard all of his life to live uprightly. He's worked hard since God blessed him with a family to take care of that family. He had many servants. He had many neighbors. He had a lot of wealth, and everything we see in the Scripture would indicate he used all of that to help others and take care of others. He's worked hard to serve God well, but now it seems like God is against him, and everybody else is too. His words or the words of his friends torment him. He says, that your words are breaking me in pieces. Have you ever experienced that? The power of somebody else's words to break you and to torment you, the things that people have said to you that you can't forget. You know it's not right, maybe, but it still torments you. Job has cried out for help, he says. He's cried out but there is no justice. God has walled up his way. God has put me in the dark, he says. God has removed my glory and my crown. God is breaking me down on every side. God has pulled up my hope like you pull up a, a tree. Remember last time we looked at uh, one of Job's laments was in, in speaking of man, he says, man dies and that's the end. He says, at, at least a tree, if you cut it down, Shoots will come up from the stump. All, all they need is the scent of water, and, and there's, there's hope for the tree. But if you tr pull a tree up by its roots, there's no possibility. Hope's gone. He says that's what God has done to him. He thinks that he is experiencing God's wrath, that now God is his adversary, that God's troops have attacked and set up siege ramps and surrounded him. There's no escape, only increasing misery. Not even his family is with him. His family, too, has abandoned him. His guests and servants treat him like a stranger. His breath is strange to his wife. She doesn't want to be close to him. She doesn't want to be near to him. 
He's a stench to his siblings. He says, the, the children of my mother. He doesn't even call them brothers and sisters. The alienation that is there, the aloneness that is there. He says, even little children. I'm so thankful for the patience of little children. You can say things not exactly right, and for the most part, little kids will still love you and you know, accept you. They're not very judgmental. Job says, the little children, they despise me. Everybody despises me. My most intimate and best loved friends abhor me. So all of this leaves Job desperately longing for justice. I mean, even his body, in a sense, is against him. <laughs> he, he feels his bones sticking to his skin. He's absolutely miserable, which leads Job to be asking, doesn't anybody care? Not my friends, not my family, not God. Does nobody care? He's in a deep, deep, dark place, so dark that he actually says, now he says to his friends who he's been telling, I'm innocent, he says to them in verse 21, have mercy on me. It's as if he is saying, I know you don't believe me. You, you are not convinced of my innocence, but, but please, in all of my misery here, can you not at least show me mercy? Even if you don't believe me, even if I haven't convinced you that I don't deserve this, can't you see how much I am suffering? Will you not please have mercy on me? Why aren't you satisfied with my flesh? Why do you, like God, pursue me? This is a tug of war in Job's heart between despair and hope. And so he, it, it almost seems as if he switches back to uh, still crying out how innocent he is when in verses 23 and 24 he says, Oh, that my words were written down. Oh, that they were written and inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. Job is saying the same thing that we say when we say something is engraved in stone. It means it's, it's going to last. It, it's true. It's real. Job longs for that, that he would have vindication, that he would be found innocent. I, he still thinks that he's right, but maybe he's going too far now. Wouldn't it be actually a rather bad thing for all of Job's words to be written down and remembered, for all of his words to stand as a witness? Job, I know it's not fair. I know you don't want it to end this way, but don't rely on your words or you'll be in trouble. You know, in the midst of suffering, it's not wrong to long for justice. In fact, the longer that the suffering goes on, probably the more that we long for that justice, the, the more we long for things to be made right. But in those moments when God gives us a glimpse, an, an honest glimpse of what is actually in our hearts, we find ourselves reluctant to actually ask for justice. You know why? Because we don't have the moral authority or ability to even determine what true justice is, do we? We certainly don't have the protection that's required to be safe from the consequences of justice because justice is a lot like those explosives in the truck. Once you start the process, 
It's totally objective. And before a holy God who knows all things, if we cry out for justice, then what we are asking for is not only the correction of those who have wronged us, the correction of us for how we've wronged others. That's a hard thing to ask for. It's a dangerous place to be. You don't know what's going to happen, but you've set it up for a detonation. So where will Job go after this? He started a process in his cry for justice. What will he do? What will he say? It almost as if, is as if he understands, I may be in trouble. <laughs> because look at the next thing he cries out for. Hope in a redeemer. We find this uh, in verses 25 through 27. It's a beautiful confession of faith, a beautiful and specific hope. I am so glad that Job's speech doesn't end with verse 24. And I think Job should be glad too. Because it sounds a lot like a prideful heart still insisting on its own purity. Written record would put Job in trouble. Think about what he said back in verse 21. The hand of God has touched me. God is pursuing me. We know because we know the rest of the story and we, we have been able to read about what's taking place in heaven. It's actually Satan's hand that is against Job. God's hand is protecting him, not harming him. But in the midst of the suffering, it can feel that way to Job because he knows and believes and is confident that God is in control of all things. So how could it be any other way? That's an attempt of man to explain God's ways, and it won't work. It won't stand up in God's court of justice. In God's court of justice, Job would be found guilty. So it's a good thing he didn't stop with verse 24. It's a good thing he cries out. And he defines for us what hope in God looks like. Now, I want you to notice what hope in God is not. Job is not saying, hey, I know God will work things out. Or worse, hey, when God closes a door, he opens a window. Or God won't give me more than I can handle. Or God helps those who help themselves. All those are not only in general, but they're in great error, aren't they? Job has a very specific hope. He is hoping in God specifically. He is hoping in a redeemer somehow. Somehow Job understood he needed a righteousness that he didn't have. You know, it's interesting in the book of James, uh, the, James gives the example of Job and he lists him in the context of, we know the prophets who experienced suffering and showed steadfastness. And then he mentions Job. Job is a prophet. Peter tells us that the prophets in the Old Testament, within them, because of the Holy Spirit who was revealing to them a, a Redeemer, a Savior who would come, but they didn't fully understand who He was and how He would work, it, it created in them a longing to know, but they didn't fully know. And so Job, he knows, he doesn't fully understand, but he knows. He knows that he needs a Redeemer. Maybe... He, as, uh, as many of us do, perhaps as he spoke and cried out, oh, that my words were written, maybe it dawned on him, uh-oh, 
And so he understands. He needs somebody to intercede for him. He needs a redeemer. Uh, Christopher Ash, in his commentary on Job, defines a redeemer uh, in this way, and I thought it was very helpful. A redeemer is someone tied to you by covenant, usually a relative, whose calling was to stand for you when you were wronged. If you were murdered, he saw to it that your murderer was punished. If your share in the promised land was under threat, he safeguarded it. If your widow was childless, he gave her a child. In every way, he stood for you when you could not stand for yourself. He is your vindicator and your champion. There are examples of Redeemer in the Old Testament. Think of Ruth and Boaz. But even better than that, we have the Lord God Almighty himself. Because in Exodus, when he reveals himself to Moses and tells Moses that he's to go and demand of Pharaoh, let my people go, God says to Moses, I will redeem my people. God is the redeemer. He's the one who stands for his people when they could not stand for themselves. And Job had some understanding of this. Perhaps it was very elementary, but he knew he needed someone to rescue him. He needed someone to represent him before a holy God. And so he cried out, I know, I have this hope, I have this confidence, I know that my Redeemer lives. Job needed someone who wouldn't turn away during his suffering. Everybody else had, family, friends. It seemed to him as if God himself had turned away. But Job knew that he had a redeemer in heaven. I think Job understood he needed someone to pay the price for his sin so that he could truly be innocent before a holy God. Remember, multiple times already in the narrative, we've seen him saying, oh, that I could just have an audience with God, that God would just show me what my sin is. I think now he's understanding I can't pay. Not all of the sacrifices I've made, not all of the attempts that I have made. I need a redeemer. I need a redeemer who lives. This is that redeemer. Now more than ever, Job understands his own frailty, his own mortality. He needs a redeemer who is not threatened by death. That's why he cries out, I know that my redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. This is a redeemer who not only lives, but who conquers. Standing on the earth is a picture of victory and rule, even over sin and suffering and death. I know that my redeemer lives, and I know that the day is coming when he will stand upon the earth. But Job not only needed a redeemer who lives and a redeemer who conquers, he needs a redeemer who knows him. And that is what he is looking to as well. That is what he is hoping for. That is what he is trusting in. After my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. Job's hope is in a redeemer who has the power to raise him and the compassion to receive him. Especially in the Old Testament, wording that indicates eyes looking on you and, and being in someone's presence and they're looking upon you, it all 
is in the context of approval and acceptance and love and kindness. The blessing that Jim pronounces most Sundays you are here. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. That's what's being conveyed in Job saying, when I see this redeemer, I'm going to in my flesh see this God. I will see him for myself. My eyes shall behold him. Job is talking about experiencing peace with God. This redeemer, the one in whom he hopes, is the one who can do that. He's high and lifted up. He's approved by God and accepted by God. This Redeemer is God. And so he's not only holy and just, he is welcoming, compassionate. He enters into a relationship with sinners. Job can't wait to experience this. How my heart faints within me. I think Job's understanding of his condition and his need is growing. Because now he's not just longing to be um, recognized or approved by his friends. It's not their judgment that he is so concerned with. His concern is to be found right in the eyes of God. He knows that his record of sacrifices won't accomplish that. He knows that all his attempts to live righteously fall short before a holy God who sees and knows everything. It's not enough to just talk with God. Job needs somebody to rescue him. Somebody who has the resources to cover his debt. Only God can rescue Job from God. Now, that is not original with me. Other people smarter than me have said that. But I want you to think about it. Think about that glorious paradox of the gospel. Only God can rescue us from God. Because he is holy. And we are not. And we cannot ever do enough to become worthy of his love and care. Oh, this is something I'm having to be reminded of. And, I, and so I would remind you too, only God can rescue me from God. I don't have enough goodness. I don't care how long I have been a Christian. I don't care how long I've been in ministry. None of those things qualify me before a holy God. Only God can rescue me from God. And this is good news for you too. Only God can rescue you from God. And he has, he has acted to do that in the person and work of his son. See, really our need is the same as Job. We need a redeemer. We desperately need a redeemer. And with Job, we can say, I know that my redeemer lives. And we can identify him more clearly than Job can. We can gladly say, oh, yes, this is the Redeemer that all of the Bible points to. This is our Lord Jesus who loved us and came and gave his life for us. But, you know, as you begin to see Jesus as he really is, as Job begins to understand more and more the reality of who God is, of who his Redeemer is, he doesn't close the chapter without recognizing there's some danger here. And we need to recognize that too, even as Peter recognized that when Jesus performed that miracle that I read about for the kids. Jesus sh showed great compassion and mercy, but he also showed great power. 
And Peter's response to that, did you catch that? Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. When you see Jesus more clearly for who he truly is, there is a little bit of fear because he is so holy and so powerful. But along with that is the welcome, the grace, the kindness, so that we do not have to be afraid. Fear without being afraid. And so uh, Job turns his attention now again to his friends in verses 28 and 29, and there's a warning. And that's the last thing that we see in this text. If you say, how will we pursue him? In other words, he's saying, if, if right now in your hearts, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, if in your hearts you're saying, oh, we need to figure out better how to trap this guy. We need to, we need to see how we can convince him of how wicked and awful he is. If you continue to pursue me, if you continue to say the root of the matter is found in him, then remember this. Be afraid of the sword, for wrath brings the punishment of the sword, that you may know that there is a judgment. Job is reminding his friends that, yes, indeed, God is holy. But if your understanding of how God works is true, then you better be afraid because God will judge you. The sword will fall on you. If there is no way to be forgiven, you have no certainty in the future but judgment. So what you are saying about me, you better consider for yourself. If God is going to judge me according to your understanding of who God is, then he will judge you too and you won't have any place to hide. God's judgment will be swift. It will be final. You should be afraid. Job is saying to his friends, be careful because you're in the presence of almighty God. This warning is for us too. Not, not in the sense of being afraid, will I make it? Our hope is not that one day we will get to heaven and that God will weigh out our good deeds and our bad deeds and say, okay, I think you can make it in. And you know what? It's incredible, but so many people who go to church every week believe that? If I can just accumulate enough good things that they will outweigh the bad things, I'll be okay. That's going along with the theology of Job's friends. <clears throat> and it, it, is, it is not only terribly wrong, but it is agonizingly, desperately the cause of despair. Oh, if I have to stand before God based on how well I've done, I am toast. I, I, I can't do it. This warning is a reminder to us, not only for how we think about ourselves, but how we think about others. Because remember the context. This is Job's warning to his friends. What are his friends guilty of? Judging Job. Determining, saying that they know why God is doing what he is doing. It's easy for us to look at them and say, oh, how wrong they are. But, oh, it's easy for us to fall into that. I have a confession to make. While we were gone at General Assembly, I reopened my Facebook account. And, uh, you know, part of it was pure motives, I'm sure. I just want to see what other people who are there are saying about it. 
But I was amazed at how quickly the attitude of my heart in looking at various posts could turn to one of judgment. Hearing what others have said, and right away assuming that I know all their thoughts, I can be very quick to judge. It's a common condition of the human heart. In fact, in Calvin's sermons on this text, that's one of his main points. He says, uh, he warns against looking at those who seem to be experiencing God's judgment and assuming that they must therefore be wicked. He says our response should rather be a sober reflection on our own hearts and lives because there is a holy God and judge before whom we will one day stand. Our sins are sufficient to condemn us, and when we see others experiencing things, even if we're right, even if it's because of their sin that they're experiencing that suffering, who are we to judge? Because if, we use, if God used that standard, where would we be? How patient, how merciful God has been with us. How kind. Job's words to his friends are a correction to us to be slow to judge, to be more quick to say, oh God, please have mercy on them. To be more quick to encourage and come alongside, weep during the times of sorrow and darkness and difficulty. Don't even be quick to judge when people say things that aren't 100% right. <laughs> Job was not 100% right. But in the process as we look at the whole narrative, as we will come to find out in the end, his theology does get better, doesn't it? So much so, much so that as a part of Job's uh, restoration is his acting as priest. But that will come. We'll, we will get there. For now, know this. Where's your hope? And I want you to be specific. I don't want you to just hope in God. I want you to hope specifically in a Redeemer. Specifically in the Redeemer. The Redeemer who lives. The Redeemer who will stand upon the earth one day. The Redeemer who has conquered and is conquering all of his and our enemies. In that Redeemer, we can be safe no matter how difficult our current experience, no matter how hard, no matter how dark, even if there are those times when our closest friends abandon us or our family, when it seems as if God himself is against us, we must remember this. I know, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that is my only hope, not in how well I have done. My hope is in my Redeemer. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, don't miss what's being offered to you. This is a picture to us right here of the holiness of God that would require the sacrifice of his own son, but also the grace and mercy of our God who did provide his son for us. We celebrate a Redeemer. We don't celebrate our record or our wisdom or our reputation or our wealth or our security. We don't celebrate what other people think about us. Our only hope is Jesus.
And God hasn't left us in the dark. We know so much more than Job knows. I want to encourage you for yourself and for those whom you know and love who are suffering. Point them to the Redeemer. Point your own heart to the Redeemer. Don't forget what Job has confessed. Even after my skin has been destroyed, in my flesh I shall see God. I shall see him for myself. How my heart longs. This supper is a celebration and a remembrance. The day is coming when we will enjoy it with Jesus, when we will get to experience all that he came to accomplish for us. Uh, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for uh, your servant, Job. Uh, we thank you that even though his knowledge was incomplete, yet still you revealed enough to him for him to know that there was a redeemer, that there was someone who would represent him before you, someone who would stand by him in all of his trouble and who would do for him what he could not do for himself. Father, we thank you that you have fully revealed now who this Redeemer is, that it is your Son, the Lord Jesus, that there is no other, there's no other Savior, there's no other Redeemer, there's no one else, nothing else that can rescue us, only Jesus, and he has. So, Father, help us to remember that. Help us to believe that even when we are desperate, even when we are hurting, even when we are full of sorrow, even when we can't figure out what comes next. Father, whether we despair of our circumstances or of our sin, would you please help us to remember that our Redeemer lives and he will stand upon the earth and that we will see him in our flesh. Oh, Father, because of your power and glory and majesty and compassion and grace, help us now to worship you and to receive with thankfulness what you have given as we celebrate what Jesus did. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. And God's people said, amen. amen.